Welcome to the Archive. My name is Sierra, and this is a very special episode of the podcast. It's hosted and produced entirely by our assistant producer, Wingale Kaifel. Hello, Tawana. Hi, Wingale. So nice to talk to you today. You too. Um, so yes, um, I'm Wingale, and I have been um, working with Sierra Jackson um, uh, as um, kind of her assistant through this fellowship. And um, for our culminative project, um, we decided that I would do an episode by myself. And I really wanted to interview a therapist. Um, obviously, we've, um, as a society, have been talking about the importance of um, mental health so much more often these days, thankfully. And um, I really wanted to get um, the perspective um, and the experiences of someone that is um, on the therapist side of things. And so I'm really, really glad that um, you agreed to do this and yes. that we're talking today. Yes. Um, can you give us a little introduction of yourself, please? Sure. And of course, you'll learn more about me as we go along Absolutely. in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, my name is Tawana. I'm 41. Um, I am multiracial, um, and, um, live in Connecticut, Mm -hmm. Seymour, Connecticut, and, um, I work full-time, um, for a healthcare practice where I'm a, um, behavioral health manager and also do direct practice with clients, and then I have my own business called Sacred Ground Institute, Um, where I do direct psychotherapy. Um, I mentor Masters of Social Work students. And then I also provide supervision um, for um, folks seeking licensure in various um, counseling orientations. And I do a lot of leadership development and coaching and and personal professional development and coaching. Um, so I just, I love it all, um, with the, the key theme of helping people learn how to stand their sacred ground and live to their most optimal self and well-being. Um, so that underpins all of my, my work per se. And, um, and that's me too, that I ultimately try to live, um, my optimal self every day not perfect um, but I always have that in mind Um, and so most times you will see me with a smile on my face because there are many things to um, be unhappy about um, but there's a mustard seed worth of something every day um, to bring gratitude to your heart you know and to be thankful for so um, and you know, that's a little bit about me. I have a partner named Ebony. Um, I love her so much. We've been together for almost six years. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And um, she's in the human services field herself. And um, she's just a remarkable woman. Um, and um, I'll dig in a little bit more as, as we go on. But that's a little something about me. Oh, I also, um, I might as well just share, like, educationally, um, uh, I went to Quinnipiac University for undergrad, and then I went to Smith College School for Social Work for graduate school, and um, I have been in the field as a social worker for 18 years and I fucking love it. Mm. Is it okay to swear? Yes, it is okay. Okay. (laughs) Yes, I fucking love it when you like I'm ride or die, like ride or die. So that's a little bit about me, little intro. Wow, that's so much and that's so amazing. Um, And in terms of what you do, I'm I'm happy for you to talk as long as you want. Wow, um, thank you, and um, lots of beautiful nuggets in there as well. That was really lovely to hear. Yes. Um, so um, how did you know or um, what, were, what was your path in, um, in you know, deciding that like, this was the career path for you? Mm, big question, and partly it's gonna, you're going to get a big answer. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'll try Love to be as succinct, but... Um, <laughs> Um, so I, I think when I was thinking about doing this beautiful project with you, 
I thought the way I would frame it is kind of talking to you about the human behind the therapist. Yes. Yes. Because I think that folks, general society, and maybe even therapists themselves, no matter what orientation they, counseling orientation and background they have, you know, I think people, they they see therapist first and not human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're human first before we are all of the ascribed roles and labels we are in our lives. Yes. At least that's what I, how I feel. Yeah. Um, so I want to share with you the human behind the therapist that yes. I am, yes. because that underpins all of who you see in me as a therapist and how you experience me. Um, it's such a visceral, visceral experience. Um, so the human behind Tawana as a therapist, um, grew up with a significant trauma history um and um some of the to to kind of draw a picture for you um that my biological mother had me when she was 14 Mm -hmm. and i had three other siblings by the time she was 20 Mm -hmm. and we lived in a, a trailer park in kansas and um and my half-brother was born in Germany, so we lived in Germany for a bit and then moved back to Kansas. And some of my earliest memories in particular, I was the oldest, um, so some of my earliest memories were um, really, de- like, I, I think if I were to, like, envision four or five-year-old Tawana, she'd be like warrior princess because somehow she knew how to survive Mm -hmm. on the land per se. Mm -hmm. So I really, um, I depended on water from the toilet Mm -hmm. because it was my only consistent source of nourishment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I still remember the feel of the porcelain every time I would like kneel down to like drink out of the toilet. Mm -hmm. Um, and, or sniffed soaps and shampoos because I would, I would like imagine that it was food Mm -hmm. that I was eating, Mm -hmm. um, digging out of trash cans to try to find scavenge for food for myself and my siblings, Mm -hmm. um, or pulling the chair up to the freezer and stealing frozen bologna, like Mm -hmm. stealing food from my own fridge, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but it was about survival. Mm -hmm. And um, this one funny story, it's funny but not funny, but mm-hmm. I I recruited my little brother to go break into a trailer next door to us because <laughs> I was looking for food. And, um, and so we broke in and I remember being so disappointed because there was like nothing in their fridge that was edible. <laughs> nothing. And so we leave the house, and all of a sudden, there was, like, this helicopter flying up above. And I was like, (laughs) and I imagine in my five-year-old mind, oh, shit. And so I grabbed my little brother. We we ducked behind, like, a generator. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God. I was so scared. I was like, they caught me. They found me. Of course. as a five-year-old right. after you just stole it right. up. Right. <laughs> that's so funny. So, like, that's, like, you know, the kind of things, like, I just, <laughs> you know, my world was about survival. Like, mm-hmm. I would, I remember finding, like, a block of cheese in the fridge, and I stole it and kept it in our closet, and we just ate off of mm. it for days. Who knows how long? Mm. It was probably moldy. Who the fuck right. knows? But... <laughs> But it just, like, just shows you, like, how much, you know, um, you know, survival and, like, food was such a central part of Mm -hmm. how I got by. And, um, and so, um, at a certain point, my biological mother gave up her parental rights Mm -hmm. uh, voluntarily to myself and my little brother, but she kept our two younger siblings 
And at that point, I went into the foster care system. And um, he, my brother and I kind of got separated. We might have been in the same facility, but it, w- it was a very institutional facility, mm-hmm. very stark, very cold. Mm-hmm. I remember the people being kind. Um, and I, my first memory was going there and a gentleman greeted us and I remember he he meant he talked about my hair mm. and he tried to comb my hair but it was so matted and it was mm. just like I was like oh my god it was like oh mm. but I remember the day that I got taken from my family mm-hmm. my aunt was holding me and um and it was a black man and a white woman it was raining that day and I remember them like grabbing me from my aunt and me just like crying and mm-hmm. crying and like trying to fight them off. And I remember being put in the car, the back seat, and turning around with my brown little fists like banging on mm-hmm. the window, like because oh I just wanted to escape, you yeah. know, and go back to my aunt's arms. And, um, you know, so. Uh, I'll never forget that day. Mm-hmm. And um, so once I got into uh, this institution, um, I I had a room by myself. And I remember that I would try to, like, harm myself. Mm-hmm. I was probably five or six. Um, and, like, I would fall off the bed intentionally. It was kind of a high bed for, mm-hmm. like... For a place like that, I think it was probably too high. Mm-hmm. Um, but or I would like run into the wall or like hit my head. Um, just probably just very dysregulated mm-hmm. as a young child, mm-hmm. and um, or being put in like padded rooms, you know, um, you know, because again, like just very dysregulated and. Um, and so eventually I went to live with some foster families mm-hmm. and I remember them being very kind and um, and feeding me and feeding me, which was like a joy, mm-hmm. um, like being taken care of, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I'm not sure like how many foster families I was with, but I just... I have fond memories about Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. Um, but I would go back and forth from the institution to the foster families, Mm -hmm. and um, and then I um, and then my final foster family, which ended up becoming my adoptive family, um, I met them when I was about seven, and I remember them coming. And meeting them, and they took my brother first, and they took me. And when they got me, I had to be tested because you figure I was seven. I was never in school. Mm-hmm. I had not started. So they tested me, and the way I scored, I was supposed to be um, chronologically in... I was By the time we got to Connecticut... Um, I was probably with them for a year. I was turning eight. Mm-hmm. So I was supposed to be in second grade, but I had to start all the way back in kindergarten mm. because I couldn't read, write, mm. hold a pencil. Mm. I didn't know the colors of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to spell my name. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I literally, like, who knows how tall I was, but could you imagine like a seven year old <laughs> in kindergarten <laughs> drinking my chocolate milk, having nap time? Yep. As you should. <laughs> right, right. So, um, so it's just like amazing that like mm. that that was how I started. And um and so from from that point, um you know, my, I, I, I felt really hopeful mm-hmm. once I, you know, went to live with my adoptive family. Um, but unfortunately that it, it, there was a lot of trauma that I experienced 
living um, with with my adoptive family. It wasn't all trauma. There was some triumph, um, but it was um, uh, but it was very difficult. And so, very early on, somehow I knew how to f- how to connect myself with people that were safe and that could help meet needs that I had, right? Like affection, safety, and all of that. And I think that that was probably, when I think about the theme of trauma and triumph and the human behind the therapist, that part of the journey for me was key instinctually knowing who to connect myself with and positive social connections are so healing and um Sheila who you just met she was probably she was an early even though I was 14 15 when I met her she very much took on that early caregiver Mm -hmm. figure in my life Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and it just grew from there and it was due to the people that I got introduced to in my life that I found myself on this path to social work. And, um, when I was in high school, I remember I spoke with my guidance counselor and I said, I know what I want to do with my life. I either want to go to culinary school, art school, or um, cosmetology school. Because I just, like, I was all about the arts. L- l- like, very creative. Like, loved color. Loved, you know. And that's what I saw for myself. And she was like, hell no. I see something <laughs> different for you. And most people would be like, like, no, you should like totally nurture where she wants to go, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. no, she had a different agenda when go. Mm-hmm. So she said, I see you at Quinnipiac mm-hmm. and they have a program that I think would be good for you. Um, and so mm-hmm. I had applied to like seven other colleges mm-hmm. and, um, but Quinnipiac gave me the, the most beautiful financial aid package. Look at that. I, yeah, I, I was so blessed. Um, so I went there and um, I remember that um, before going there, I was an apprentice at uh, a museum. It was like also a wood shop and they did all kinds of summer camps. And so I kind of grew up like my late adolescence, early teens, young adulthood. I was connected to that community. And the director of the museum, Bill Brown, said to me, He said, I think he was a social worker by trade. And I remember I was in college when he said this to me. I was like a freshman. And he said, you're a Smith girl. I said, what the fuck's a Smith girl? (laughs) What's that? And he goes, I I see you as a social worker. Mm -hmm. Didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. Like, I had a concept of what it was. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what Smith was. So I was like, okay, I'm going to tuck it back here. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. And so I, but I totally forgot about it, right? Mm. So, so fast forward, my sophomore year of college, I'm kind of failing. Drop, I almost dropped out until I discovered sociology as a major and mm-hmm. I completely thrived. Mm-hmm. And I ended up meeting Mary Lesser, who's a professor now, this was back in 2001, 2002. She is still in my life. Mm-hmm. She's still in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, she is an amazing, her and her husband are so amazing. And they've been with me every step of the way mm-hmm. and all these milestones I've had in my life. Um, but so she was very instrumental. And um, so fast forward to my senior year, I got my grades up enough to study abroad in Australia. Mm. And so I go to Australia and I live in Perth, which is in Western Australia for six months. Mm -hmm. And I attended the University of Western Australia. And I, when I was at the university, I 
took a, I didn't realize it was a social work class, but it was working with Aboriginal families and communities, which oh. I was very passionate about. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and so, and the, the professor was Maori. And she said to me, she came up to me one day after class went down, she said, you, you light up in class. Mm-hmm. Like, this is your stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you, like, you are so passionate about this. Have you ever thought of social work? Second time, mm-hmm. right? First was Bill Brown, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Next her, like, have you ever thought of social work? So I was like, you know what? Two people mentioned this. Yeah. My only reference for where to go mm-hmm. was Smith mm-hmm. because that's what Bill Brown said. <laughs> so I so I learned about Smith College. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I I looked into the program there, mm-hmm. and um, and then like I had like my crew at, in Australia who helped me package together everything. Mm-hmm. I applied while I was still in Australia and um, fast forward back in the States, Sheila and I drive up to Smith and because they requested an interview. And I remember that the woman I interviewed with, older black woman, sitting at her desk, I go in um, and she says to me, you know, um, we typically don't admit students right out of college. You're too young. Hmm. Our stu- our students have had multiple careers. Hmm. Oh, all I could hear was my professor from Australia and Bill Brown in my ear mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. you're meant to do this. Mm-hmm. That's all I heard. Mm-hmm. That is all I heard, Wingel. Yes. So I slammed my fist down on her yes. table. Yes. And I was like, how dare you tell me that I'm not ready. Mm. I'm ready. Mm. I'm a Smith girl. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's what I said. I was like, I'm meant to be here. You can't tell me what I haven't done in my life. Right. Right. I'm meant to be here. Yeah. It just, you were faster to know than other people. You right? can't be punished for that. Right. <laughs> so, um, so. I think had I not gone to that interview, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have gotten in. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really do believe mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so right there was like the start of me standing my sacred ground, okay. right? And, um, and so Smith is a very clinical program. Mm-hmm. There are all different types of social work programs. There's, you know, micro, meso, macro different types of social work jobs you could have. Um, but Smith was really focused on like clinical counseling mm-hmm. and it was a pass fail okay. system, mm-hmm. which meant you couldn't hide behind grades. Mm-hmm. Cause mm-hmm. if you think about it, mm-hmm. like if you, if you're only performing to meet a particular grade, mm-hmm. you're totally missing you're totally missing this other piece of growth, mm-hmm. of personal growth. Yeah. And so with a pass-fail system, mm-hmm. you had to be naked with your stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you had to work. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that really set the tone, mm-hmm. I think. Like, it laid the educational platform, mm-hmm. plus complemented and enhanced what I was already humanistically bringing, mm-hmm. right? So together, mm-hmm. the marriage between the both, I think really just, you know, really helped me on, propel me in this, this on this path. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, I, and I didn't know until Sheila told me that Smith is a sister Ivy League. I had no idea that when I was in Australia, I was applying to the number one school in the country mm-hmm. for clinical social work. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. <laughs> no idea. Oblivious to it. <laughs> Sheila laughed so hard. <laughs> so hard. That tells you how much I knew, right? Mm-hmm. All I knew was Smith. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> That's all I knew. I didn't know it was prestigious. Mm-hmm. So lo and behold, it was like, a name that follows you mm-hmm. and like it 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 just was like wow mm-hmm. like to to come from that program mm-hmm. and so 
it was such an accomplishment in my life yeah. and mm-hmm. um and so special um and so you know so I'll pause there mm-hmm. um and just to see if you you know I I wanted to give you that kind of mm-hmm. that origin some of my origin story and kind of guide you to yes. that basically to smith yes so. yes thank you so much for sharing your story i you're really welcome. appreciate it you're welcome um so in in doing this work um you know um you definitely had a difficult past um do you think um speaking to people that have had similar difficulties um has that kind of healed your um your you know your, some childhood scars or um you know kind of um how do I want to word this um I'm sure like there are experiences that you hear about that you know you can relate to so much um mm-hmm. and yeah can that be a healing experience or can that be like retriggering um yeah yeah so I think it's a both and mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. type of situation that mm-hmm. healing can happen mm-hmm. um, and that that's not the that I think they I think it can be healing mm-hmm. um, and it can be triggering mm-hmm. especially if the therapist as a human yeah. has not is not receiving good supervision, yeah. has not received their own help mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. whether it's a therapist or their own commu- healing community. Absolutely. Um, because ultimately we are there in honor and, and serving the purpose of, of the client. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a mutual relationship. And mm-hmm. so um, the relationship in itself Self can be healing mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. and the therapist benefits from yes. it yes that that's how I can say mm-hmm. it but my goal isn't to go in and be healed by mm-hmm. like right it's yeah. just it's it is a um it is a an effect of the work mm-hmm. um you know, just like um, for a massage therapist or like a Reiki practitioner, mm-hmm. that that it could be so the act of doing it is can be so therapeutic mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. healing mm-hmm. and feel really loving, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of how it feels for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that act of healing and that journey that we client and therapist take over whatever that 45 to 60 minute Mm -hmm. or even 20 minutes to a half hour Mm -hmm. it could just take minutes absolutely um for healing to happen absolutely you know um so that's that's kind of like my take on it and that and because we're human first we have to really pay attention to in the moment when you're when a therapist is with a client, you know, with that other human being sitting across from them or humans, if they're working in a group or with family or a couple, that you have to keep yourself regulated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. while you're also trying to help contain and regulate mm-hmm. the people you're sitting across from. Does Absolutely. that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so living to be your most optimal mm-hmm. healthy self yeah. is so critical mm-hmm. because if not you get set up for you know because these folks lives are in your hands mm-hmm. as a therapist mm-hmm. if you think about any other profession mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Um, the medical profet like mm-hmm. nurses and doctors yeah. and all the techs like if they're not taking care of themselves or mm-hmm. teachers mm-hmm. if they're not taking care of themselves mm-hmm. It runs the risk of burnout. It runs the risk of neglect and malpractice. Um, So it is just absolutely critical and also from an ethical standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, So so being the best human you can be and the healthiest human. um, And it doesn't mean that as a human first, Mm -hmm. 
before I'm a therapist that I need to be healed 100%. Yes. Mm-hmm. The healing always continues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a way in which I do have to be my healthiest self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that comes setting boundaries. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there are times where I know I'm not my best mm-hmm. self mm-hmm. and not going to be work to my optimal best for my clients. Mm-hmm. And so I will say... You know what? I'm not feeling my best self today. Do you mind if we cut our session to a half mm-hmm. hour? Mm-hmm. Do you mind if we reschedule? Mm-hmm. And also, the expectation goes the other way that, mm-hmm. like, they know that if they can't show up to therapy, if they show up hungry, if they mm-hmm. show up tired, mm-hmm. if they show up, like, you know, um, sick, mm-hmm. that they're not going to get the most out of therapy. Like, kudos for showing up, Mm -hmm. but you're not your most optimal self, right? For sure. So so that's kind of, like, how how I, Mm -hmm. you know, experience those kind of things. For sure. Thank you so much for those reminders. Um, You know, yeah, people that take care of other people need people to take care of them, too, and need to take care of themselves, too. Um, Doctors need doctors. Teachers need teachers. Therapists Mm -hmm. need therapists and their own supportive systems. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important to um, to remind ourselves. Um, And so, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, And in... In in this profession, um, do you think there's anything that like has surprised you um, in learning about what you were learning about people, um, or even yourself, or this um, um, or this practice? Um, so one thing that I've learned is that people, when used appropriately, self disclosure. Mm-hmm. So when a therapist discloses. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily as a therapist, but the human behind the therapist mm-hmm. discloses some piece of their personal story mm-hmm. um, that might be similar or that is a piece of their story that the client might be able to relate to mm-hmm. that that self-disclosure used in that appropriate way and a safe way yeah. Um, can be so healing mm-hmm. for for the client. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like when you're connecting with people and you they share something about their narrative and you're like, oh my God, like I connect with that. That resonates with me. Yeah. Or I know something similar to that. And, but as a therapist, you know, because clients are looking at you as a therapist Mm -hmm. and um, therapists can be mysterious Mm -hmm. because depending on your training and Mm -hmm. your comfort level as a therapist, many are buttoned up and, Mm -hmm. you know, self-disclosure is not their thing. And Mm -hmm. early training historically was your blank slate as Mm -hmm. a therapist. Mm -hmm. I found in my 18 years Mm -hmm. that doesn't, that hasn't jived with my yeah with my clients mm-hmm. they they want the human mm-hmm. they want the human and so walking that line of mm-hmm. showing my humanness yeah. um what's surprising is that how how receptive and how healing and humanizing that is for my clients mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um just thinking about like teachers or doctors I've had like the ones I've connected to Mm -hmm. are the ones that are aware of the power dynamic and Mm -hmm. and connect with you on a humanistic level while yes sharing their expertise and their talents Mm -hmm. but but they're connecting with you first as a human Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's where the power that's that's where the healing happens Mm -hmm. Because you're developing a relationship with the human me. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I am a therapist, and I'm in the role as your therapist. Mm-hmm. But you're developing a relationship with the human behind the therapist. Mm-hmm. If that does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. It does. So I think that that's what's. It mm-hmm. always, 
it always surprises me like wow like mm-hmm. they're really like you know my goofiness like laughter mm-hmm. like it 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 just surprises me all the time how much that like for me laughter is one of my greatest tools mm-hmm. as a therapist mm-hmm. um because it disarms mm-hmm. defenses mm-hmm. it's a way to connect mm-hmm. it 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 um triggers oxytocin to be released in the body mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. you know helps you join mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and my goofiness like showing that i swear like clients are like eat that up mm-hmm. like <laughs> you know and um but i'm still my professional self mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i still practice ethically mm-hmm. um i'm respectful like mm-hmm. so i uphold professional standards mm-hmm. and i'm human too yes. you yeah. know yeah um i feel like our um this country and much of Western society's ideas of professionalism and um, ideas of um, doing business or anything that like you're kind of like um, paying for um, a service for and um, or even like seeking help for from a professional um, the the expectation about like what that relationship has to look like or even if it is can even be called a relationship um, I feel like that can def- that definitely has to do with um you know someone being surprised that their therapist would laugh at them and be human with them. Yeah. Um so I'm I'm really I'm really glad to hear that's how you approach your um your patient and therapist dynamic. Um I think that's that makes so much sense to me. Um and yeah, I can only imagine that it is because of our larger um culture about what professionalism is and how you're supposed to talk to people that aren't in your family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um that that has um, worked itself into the expectation of what it's supposed to look like. Yes. Yeah. And yes. yeah, very much dehumanizing. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I'm I'm glad that you also brought up, um, you know, the kind of boundaries that you have to set, um, and if you if you have to communicate, um, if you can't show up to a certain um, meeting or like it has to be pushed back and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of wanted to elaborate on that um, and ask you further um, what, what, are, um, what are boundaries that you find yourself having to draw and or do you think it's just like it's important to draw in, in this profession? Yeah, I think, I think just in our humanistic relationships mm-hmm. in general. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. That, that, Big fan of boundaries. <laughs> yes, that, that it's important and setting that. The, the even the thought and concept of setting boundaries can feel intimidating mm-hmm. um and so I tend to anchor it in kind of what does it mean to stand your sacred ground mm-hmm. and when you think about that mm-hmm. what naturally comes with that is like a setting of boundaries like mm-hmm. an a a a um declaring what you're gonna go for versus not mm-hmm. And that's across relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I practice that, and then it's a parallel process in that I work with my clients, people I supervise and coach around doing kind of the similar thing mm-hmm. that it's important identifying boundaries that help support my nurturing of self-care. Yes. Um, boundaries around like, making sure I'm getting appropriate supervision. Yeah. Um, boundaries around not practicing out scope outside the scope of my profession. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, boundaries around like, um, you know, when do I have to escalate mm-hmm. um, a, a situation? Mm-hmm. Um, like a, a crisis, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, does this all... Yeah, that makes a lot. Does of this sense. answer your question? It does. It does. Yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad you have found um, you know, like, your ability to to set those standards um mm-hmm. and set those boundaries, mm-hmm. um and you're better for it. Your patients are better for it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's better for it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. Um, and if you know if there are people that are thinking about um, 
starting a career in this um, in this profession um, and maybe aren't sure or don't even think that like they could be a good fit um, what would you say to those people well one thing that um, I would say to folks is to is to do their research mm-hmm. um, and what I mean by that is to is to connect with folks that can help them help give them some honest answers about the different types of paths that there are mm-hmm. in for social work or any type of counseling. Mm-hmm. There are so many different orientations. So doing a lot of research into that and then connecting with professors of within social work departments, connecting with therapists. Um, you know, um, talking to their own therapist, Mm -hmm. um, um, and just doing an inventory of like checking their own implicit biases around what it is, what it's not, um, because we can have a lot of fanciful thinking, Mm -hmm. um, so, so research is like so important, Mm -hmm. And finding then a program that matches your values, that is going to give you the training that you're looking for, um, and finding mentors. Mm -hmm. Finding mentors very early on, Mm -hmm. which is part of why I've made that an arm of my business. Um, That it is so critical because a lot of people become um, disenchanted with, I'll speak to social work, can become disenchanted mm-hmm. with it mm-hmm. because of really either traumatic experiences or negative experiences mm-hmm. in school mm-hmm. or their internships or fellowships. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have a mentor or somebody that they're really leaning on mm-hmm. that can guide them, like just imagine for you if you didn't have your your people mm-hmm. your person mm-hmm. who you're looking up to like be there mm-hmm. and help guide you mm-hmm. that would be devastating i think it'd be devastating mm-hmm. um so um so i that those are some of the things i would definitely say and then a lot of it is as you're going through your training mm-hmm. to really do a lot of self inventory mm-hmm. Um, which is so, so critical and like really taking care of yourself mm-hmm. um, and also receiving therapy. It doesn't have to be yeah. long term, yeah. but knowing what it's like to, to be a client. Yeah. We know what it's like to be a patient, mm-hmm. right? But like, what's it like to be a client? Mm-hmm. Like sitting on the other end of, on the opposite end of, of a therapist, and like getting a feel for that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what I would say. That is great advice. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um and I think I also wanted to ask um you, you mentioned how um you you know, you have um discovered some different approaches that you would like to take with your clients um different than you know like your training or your early um schooling had been um you know like being like laughing with them and being more familiar and more comfortable um and I think I wanted to ask um yeah are there any other things that you kind of realized that you wanted to change up um in in the way that you handle um your your sessions and your dynamics with clients um that wasn't necessarily part of your teaching but you kind of realized you had to like change it up and approach it differently yeah, so so I'll go back to my training. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my the schooling piece, mm-hmm. like I wouldn't change anything about that. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my training in the field that, like, if you really pay attention and you're and you're picking up on, yes, I like that. No, I don't like that. Yeah. I like that style. I mm-hmm. don't like that way of being with, with clients. Mm-hmm. 
I don't like using that kind of tone of voice. Mm-hmm. I like, you know, mm-hmm. so a lot of that I, I picked up during my placements yeah. and my training. Yeah. Um, and then I, I have to be very honest with you. So much, so much is intuitive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is, which has been a superpower ever since I was a little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been instinctual. Mm-hmm. So, and I am, I like so anchor in and, and, and zone in on that human being that I'm sitting across from. And I'm so in tuned and attuned. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I'm just totally like listening to my gut. Yeah listening to them and um I think that 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 is probably something that doesn't maybe get talked a lot about Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. but I I am just an intuitive person Mm -hmm. um I really I didn't jive with you know I wasn't like theoretical like Mm -hmm. some people like really are theoretical um I'm really like hands-on, like mm-hmm. visceral, tangible, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. all gut, yep. all instinct. Yep. Um, and that's part of like how how I walk through the world and how I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is something that, um, that I bring into the work that like nobody really said like yes do that thing Mm -hmm. it was just something that I've really discovered Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that I really discovered very early on that that I didn't have to be someone that I wasn't Mm -hmm. that I could feel my most authentic self within the therapeutic relationship Mm -hmm. why not give you the me right and um and and so with that comes a degree of humanness that is very attractive to people mm-hmm. and it's like a light um and so that's something else that I have really leaned on that like doesn't get talked a lot about mm-hmm. um you know but there's so many different theories and theoretical orientations and schools of thought mm-hmm. and you know, some people might look at the way I practice like Tawana, no, that mm-hmm. no, not having it. Mm-hmm. Like I give hugs. Mm-hmm. I give hugs at the end of my sessions. Mm-hmm. If my clients, I always ask permission. Mm-hmm. Even clients I've had for five years, I still ask for permission. Mm-hmm. Um, and you better believe, like they're looking for their hug. Mm-hmm. Or <laughs> I, when I was working in a community-based mental health care center. I would put smiley faces on on appointment cards. Mm. And do you know the times I forget to put that smiley face? <laughs> uh, Tawana, you forgot my you forgot my smiley face. <laughs> what? That's awesome. What? <laughs> oh my goodness. Those little like, things matter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. All Aww. those points of connection. Yeah. Even a mustard seed worth. Yeah. Um, the humanness. A, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so to answer your question, yeah. I love that. I love that so much. Um, and what are things that um, clients can do to be kinder to their, um, to their therapists? Um, remembering that, um, well, remembering that it, it's not their job to take care of a therapist. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at the same time, to remember that their therapist is human. Mm-hmm. First, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. requires everything that they require: respect, yep. kindness, compassion. Yep. Um, the therapist is not Superman, Superwoman, Super what, mm-hmm. however they identify. Mm-hmm. They're just not. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's hard not to put people on pedestals, mm-hmm. but what can happen is when you do that and that person does not meet an expectation, mm-hmm. they can immediately fall from. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I can say for folks that are seeking therapy is to give grace because, because we're human first, we make mistakes. Yeah. 
And a lot of times folks can be unforgiving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm not sure why that is, mm-hmm. but maybe it's just how we're held in their minds. Mm-hmm. Um, but it same goes for a lot of professions, like you make a mistake mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that doesn't feel fair and it doesn't feel good, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, to each your own, how you want to respond to when someone makes a mistake in your life. Um, but it would be worth dialogue. Mm-hmm. I always say that ruptures and therapeutic relationships, that they can either, they can be healed either to continue or be healed to come to a natural place of closure. Yeah. And that's that. Yeah. Um, and that's in any relationship, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I would say. That's so valuable. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so many of us can look to therapists to, um, as like these people that have done all the work and are totally there. With, like, they're there where we want to be. And um, you're just like at this point where you've mastered emotion and you've mastered communication and relationships. But, like, no, like, no human is at that level where, like, all the work is done and um, where they have no bad days. Um, and you're, um, the way that you put it, therapists need everything that we need. Um, that was, that, that really resonated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really helpful and really great to hear. Yes. Thank yes. you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I don't want to hold you up too long. Um, um Okay, I'm going to ask one last question. Um, what's been your favorite part about um, your whole experience in this path? Oh, um, all the love I get to yeah. give. Yeah. And all the love I get to receive mm-hmm. um, from my healing communities, the mm-hmm. people I love, mm-hmm. my clients who I love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a love fest. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, you know, it's not, it's not a hundred percent perfect, nor do I want it to be. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's human. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but I just, I just love the abundance of love. Um, there's so much, there's so much to give, so much to give, Mm -hmm. to get. Um, and especially as long as I'm feeding myself and taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I'll, I mean, it's just an abundance to Absolutely. give. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so wonderful. Thank yeah. you again so much, Tawana, for You're talking with me. Miguel. This is This is so great. I'm really <laughs> excited for people to hear this. Yes. And it was a treat for me. Wonderful. <laughs> wonderful.